0: So good to be here together, isn't it? Oh, thank you, Gabriel. So my name is Kylie, as Beth said. Uh, um, If you don't know much about me, I'm from New Zealand and we've been in... Thanks. (laughs) That's what they always say and then they keep bringing it up. I have two children who I may or may not talk about tonight. (laughs) There they are. Don't look anything like me, but those two there. I uh, look a bit more like their dad, maybe. And my husband is a uh, tuna fisherman. That's why we came here, to get a job and get some money doing tuna stuff and then leave after two years. And here we are in our 11th year. Yeah. Port Lincoln people now. Almost. Another decade and we'll totally be Port Lincoln people. <laughs> so uh, tonight I just want to um, start by reading this incredible uh, verse out of the bible that peter said i don't know if you've heard much about peter he was one of jesus followers he was the one who said he saw jesus walking on water and peter's like first out of the boat let me give it a go and then he's sinking uh he's always the one putting his foot into it all the time that's peter and and then he went on to be the leader of um you know all the new church the whole new church that was being built that was being made by god around the world Um, and this verse is 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 and it uh, it paints a picture of what our life is like when we are followers of Jesus and it's absolutely incredible so you can close your eyes I think I may have one or two bits on the slideshow you can have a read of it along with me if you like um, and I'll just read it out Verse 3, it says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay for those of you who are thinking superannuation is your you know your your nest egg at the end of your working days and you're looking at the at the whatever the world economics going up and down this is a priceless inheritance kept in heaven that isn't at the whim of world economics it is pure and undefiled and beyond the reach of change Peter says, through your faith in Jesus, God is protecting you by his power until you receive that salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. Let's say that one together. So be truly glad. Not just a little bit, not glad on happy Wednesdays. So be truly glad, not fakely glad, truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. Peter was writing this to the persecuted church, churches that were currently being persecuted and, and following Jesus under threat of death. We have an altar call at the end of each service and we go, give your life to Jesus. He's, you know, That's the only way to find true satisfaction. And they were saying, give your life to Jesus but you might get murdered for it. And people were streaming down the front because the truth of it is He's the only way to find true satisfaction and peace and joy in our lives. But that's the life they were living under this persecution. And he knows that. He says, even though you are enduring many trials for a little while, there is wonderful joy ahead. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested like fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than just gold, right? So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. And Peter says, you love him even though you've never seen him. Can you hear that's the voice of Peter saying that? Because he's seen Jesus. He lived with Jesus uh, all that time. And then he's just marveling at these churches where they never got to see Jesus in the flesh. He died on the cross and he was resurrected and then he left and he gave them the Holy Spirit. But he's saying, it's like he's marveling, you love him even though you've never seen them. And it's the same for us. You love him, even though you've never seen him. Though you don't see him now, you trust him. And this is the clincher. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy, the reward for trusting him. A glorious, inexpressible joy So the Bible is the inspired Word of God. The Holy Spirit inspired Peter to say these things. It's like a blueprint for our lives. It's like a picture for how God designed us to live our lives. Have you ever thought that your life is meant to look like that? Glorious, inexpressible joy. This is the blueprint God is saying. This is what your life is meant to reflect and look like. Glorious, inexpressible joy. I'm seeing maybe one inexpressibly joyful face here, so I'll keep talking. The title of my message today is Glorious, Inexpressible Joy. You know, when I worked in kids' church, there is one stumbling block that children have, primary school-aged children. If you are a primary school age children, then you can yell it out if you think this is true. They'll believe what you tell them about Jesus and the love of God. They do believe it. They get on board. But there's one thing and they're like, no, Pastor Kylie, you can't be serious. I'm drawing a line in the sand. I can't get on board with that. Jesus can't possibly have meant it. It's an impossible command. Do you know what it is? It's to love your enemies. Why? Because primary school age children have enemies, right? They yeah, they have enemies. Some of them have arch enemies. Some of them have arch nemesis. Nemesis. They know the names of their enemies and they're like, Jesus, you've gone too far. I can't possibly have love for Bob or <laughs> Timmy, whatever his name is. It seems like an impossible commandment to children that we're still working on in kids' church. And I think for adults. There's one impossible seeming command that a lot of adults will draw the line and go, No, Jesus, you've gone too far with that one. Maybe we're interpreting it wrong. He can't possibly mean it. And that is this command about joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Just in case you didn't hear, and again I say, rejoice. As we've been talking about at Growth Track, Paul wrote that while he was in prison. He wasn't in a restaurant on its opening night feeling really glorious and going, man, I'm so joyful. Everyone should just be happy all the time. He was in prison writing a letter to the church in Philippi, a church that he started by being in prison at there and then he converted the jailer and then he got, got a hold of the rest of them. Uh, he wasn't doing it in good circumstances and he says rejoice in a little always. And a lot of adults will go, oh no, that's too far. Probably that one in the don't worry about anything. <laughs> those two commandments, adults are like everything else, Jesus, but you've just been ridiculous with those ones. And here, let alone this glorious, inexpressible joy, and yet this is what the Bible shows us. This is what the Word of God declares to us. Your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, is to be one of glorious, inexpressible joy. Can you can just imagine that for a moment. At all times, not as Peter and Paul show us, not to do with our circumstances, whether we've got good times or bad times happening. Um, Some of you may have heard of a man called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yep, I may be saying it right, I may have even spelt it right. He was a pastor in Germany when the Nazis took over. He was Banned from preaching, he ran like a the- theological school, and he was banned for, from preaching and pastoring. And so he actually sneakily would just write letters instead of preaching them. He would just write letters to his uh, congregations and his um, brother pastors. They they would uh, they forced those pastors to either be killed or to work in the um, for the Nazis in the war. So they called them like illegal pastors, and they had to go out and be in the front lines, wearing the Nazi uniform, in the war for the Nazis. And so I want to read you a part of a letter that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote to those his Christian brothers. What would you write in that letter, right? To encourage them and to comfort them. So many people they know have died. They're actually on the front lines of this terrible war that they don't believe in, they're being shot at by the people that they love and they're wearing the Nazi uniform. How would you comfort them? What has God got to say to them? Can you believe his letter is one about being joyful, joy-filled? Dietrich says, How are we going to be able to help those who have become joyless and discouraged if we ourselves are not borne along by courage and joy? Nothing contrived or forced is intended here, but something bestowed and free. Joy abides with God. It comes down from God and it embraces the spirit, soul and body. And where this joy has seized a person, there it spreads, there it carries one away and it bursts open, closed doors. The joy of God has gone through the poverty of the manger and the anger agony of the cross and that is why it is invincible and irrefutable. It does not deny the anguish when it is there but it finds God in the midst of it. It does not deny grave sin but it finds forgiveness in the midst of it. It looks death straight in the eye but it finds life precisely in the middle of it. Full of joy, we are enabled to believe that there was and is one to whom no human sin or suffering is foreign and who in deepest love accomplished our redemption. I just love that reasoning. How are we going to be able to help those who have become joyless and discouraged if we ourselves are not born along by courage and joy? When the Bible talks about joy, it doesn't describe some sort of fleeting pleasure Uh, And it doesn't talk about some sort of crazy smiling person in the middle of terrible things happening all around you. It's not sweetly smiling and denying, no, no, everything's fine, everything's fine when the world's falling apart. It's actually, the Bible describes joy as the strength of heart, the, the the boosting up, the strengthening of the heart to get through the storm. It's the Hope that strengthened Jesus as he went to the cross, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. In John 16, 20, Jesus says, he's talking to his disciples and he's, that he's just about to go to the cross. And he says, truly I say to you, you will weep and you will lament. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. When a woman is in labour, she has pain, but when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because the joy of the child that's been born into the world. Just thinking about, um, you know, Sharon and Jansen's baby who's just about to be born this week. Therefore, Jesus says, you will have grief now, but when I see you again, your heart will rejoice and no one will take that joy away from you. So I've been through labour two times to those two children there and it was like mind-blowingly out of this world painful I couldn't even believe it I thought I would die the first labor was 24 hours and the second one was 12 hours and maybe the third would have been six hours but we didn't risk it (laughs) but Jesus is right as soon as the babies were born that all just kind of melted away. You know, if I ran like a marathon or had some terrible injury or something, I'd be talking about it for at least a few days. But on the day that I delivered the babies, I didn't talk about the labour anymore. I was just like, look at this baby. All ten fingers, how amazing. Ten little fingernails, how amazing. This one's got hair and the other one didn't have hair. You're just thinking about the joy of the baby. And the the hard work and the suffering is its just kind of disappears for a while. And and Jesus says it's kind of the same with our lives, the sadness that we have right now, the struggles of just our lives in this broken world, the injustices that we face, the grief that we must deal with. It's kind of like childbirth. We don't know when it's going to end. It seems to go on forever and sometimes it seems like it might be too much for us to bear. But the coming joy is also similar when we see jesus face to face then we'll be filled with joy and all the suffering will have just kind of passed away we won't even remember it anymore and it's a joy that no one can rob from us and as followers of jesus you get to experience and live in that joy now like the coming of the new baby the baby's going to be born at least sometime in the next day or two That gives strength, the joy of the baby gives strength to a woman in labor. And in the same way, the the joy of Jesus, one day we'll live in the kingdom fully of God, that gives strength to the believer as they go through even the worst sufferings. Even as this early Christians through tragedy and torture and suffering and, and death on a cross for some of them. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Doesn't mean we're crazy laughing people. It's such a good example that Jesus gives us. If you're weak, if you're weak in some area of your life, then today cling hold and start living out that scripture. Your joy will be, your strength will be found in the joy of the Lord. My joy of the Lord is my strength. In Galatians 5, it says that the fruit of the Spirit is joy. So the fruit of an apple tree is apples, the fruit of a lemon tree is lemons, not my particular lemon trees, but uh, the fruit of a grapevine is grapes. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is, is joy. It's actually a characteristic of God. Joy comes from God. God invented it. God invented laughter. He made it. And when we experience joy and laughter, it comes from God. Every good gift is from heaven. It's from him. And we know that even as people who are not Christians, we know you know anxiety and depression and living a life just full of anger. We, know, we call that illness because we know this is not how we're meant to live. We're not meant to live depressed lives and anxious lives. We're meant to live joy-filled lives where we're able to laugh. Everybody knows that. We're not meant to live angsty, uh, down lives. We're made to experience joy because God created us to be like him and he's the God of laughter. He's the God of joy. That's what he is. That's who he's like. That's how he is. God desires there to be joy and laughter in your life. In Psalm 126, it's a song, a psalm, about when the Jewish people were brought out of exile back to Israel. And uh, it's like a signpost. It's a foreshadowing. It's of when... Christians or people who would believe in Jesus are brought out of exile that guilt and sin separates us from God and we're brought back to God. So it's a song for every Christian. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, so that's the Jewish people, we were like people who dreamed. They're saying like we just walked around and like we were dreaming. We were like people who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter Our tongues were songs of joy. It says, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying the harvest with them. God desires your life to be one of a harvest of joy and laughter, even as you're sowing in hardship and tears. Uh, just, you know, that laughter that would bubble up inside you and, and just be released without you even having to try. A glorious, inexpressible joy. Proverbs 31, 25, it says, it's, I think it's a picture of the whole church, all the followers of Jesus. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She laughs without fear in the face of the future. Followers of Jesus can laugh at the Without fear at the future because we know the future, God's promise for the future is for good and not for harm. It's for hope. You know, Jesus was nicknamed, he's kind of known as, and we sing songs about it sometimes, the man of sorrows. Put your hand up if you've heard of him called that, the man of sorrows. Which is true. But equally, we can call Jesus the man of joy, the man of gladness. In Hebrews 1.9 it says, God has anointed the Lord Jesus with the oil of gladness. So some of the humor and the wit and the funniness and the engagingness of Jesus is kind of lost to us in the Bible, often because we read it so seriously, we read it out in church quite seriously, um, and, uh, and there's also a bit lost in translation from Aramaic, what Jesus was speaking into English. So I'm going to show you a few pictures tonight. I just want to start to get us to think about Jesus was really funny. He was talking about absolutely life-changing, serious things, but he was genuinely hilarious. And a lot of the time when people were listening to him, they would have been laughing. We read it like he's telling them off. But everyone would have been laughing. Think about, you know, that time that he, uh, he had to multiply the bread and the loaves and the fishes uh, for all those people. That's because over 5,000 people and children and men and women had followed Jesus just hanging off his every word into the mountains isolated place and they forgot to bring food. Have you ever gone hiking and forgot to bring food? Have you got children and you go out and you forget to bring food? Are you a child and you forget to bring food or forget to mention it? Mum, have you got some food? How long is this journey? We've got to bring food, right? You are going on a trip to Adelaide and you don't just forget to bring food. You know, I've got seven hours in the car and we've got children. We better throw some food at them. They just hung on his words so much. He was so engaging. They forgot about work. They forgot about food. They forgot about drink. Hours or days later, they're like, man, I'm hungry. I forgot. And he has to feed them. So he was engaging. So some of that, let me just tell you a little bit about Jewish humor, what the Jewish people of that time found funny, Right. There's a little example, jujitsu. They loved puns. They'd love all those dad jokes. They loved a good pun. They loved alliteration, so that's where words sound the same or there's repetition of words. That's just hilarious humour in that time. They loved word plays where you're playing and... On words, that comes into that pun and alliteration. And they loved surprise. Someone's telling a story and then at the end there's a twist. They'd just be rolling on the floor laughing. They loved exaggeration. The more exaggerated someone's features are, you can see that even now in like Jewish cartoons, if you look up Jewish jokes and stuff, the more exaggerated that things are, the funnier it is. And so obviously they didn't have, you know, papers and internet and and pictures and stuff. They're drawing word pictures they're drawing pictures in their mind out of these words. So when someone's telling like a funny pun with a word play in it and some surprise and huge amounts of ex- exaggeration, they're building up these pictures in their mind and, and they're finding it hilarious. So let me read you just a couple of little parables or things that Jesus said. And bearing this stuff in mind, let's see if he's funny. This first one, I never heard this one told as a joke. <laughs> Matthew 23... 23 to 24, this is Jesus speaking. Woe to you, you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out the gnat, but you swallow a camel. It doesn't sound funny at all, does it? It's really lost in translation. They definitely would have been laughing all over the aisles at that. Laughing all over the aisles. Normally we read that, I think, in quite a Jesus telling off kind of voice. But the thing is, if you go back a little bit in that chapter, Jesus wasn't talking to a bunch of, the Pharisees and the laws, they, they weren't there. He's talking to his disciples and the, and the people. He's talking about them. He's just making these exaggerated things to say like don't get caught up in, in being like the hypocrite and stuff. So a gnat is like a tiny little insect and he's saying you'll strain out the gnat but you keep the camel. Um, and I've got a bit of a picture here to show like this kind of exaggeration. So he's saying you'll take the small parts of the law but you're missing the really big things. The picture that, that builds up in their minds, like this picture on the screen, they're straining out a tiny gnat so they don't drink it in their wine, but they're eating a camel. They're putting whole camels in their mouth and swallowing it. The picture is hilarious. Further reinforced by Jesus by this word play, because the word for camel is galma, and the word for nope, the word for gnat is galma, and the word for camel is gamla. So he's saying this. Fantastic wordplay. I tried for ages to try and come up with something that would be more relevant today and I just totally couldn't. Jesus is absolute genius with his wit to get that much humor in that little, little bit is really amazing. Have a try in your own prayer life tonight to try and think of like any any way that you can compare with it. People would have been laughing and they would have gone. That's right. He's hit the nail on the head. They're worried about the tiny little things and they're letting these huge things slip by. It would have been funny, but it's a really deep truth and they recognize about God in it. Here's another one. Jesus said, Matthew 19, 23, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. Again, we read that pretty straight and kind of condemning, but... The picture of the camel going through the eye of a needle would have made them laugh. That's a good one, Jesus. They're like, yeah, that's ridiculous. Come on, get that camel through the needle. Jesus talks about being wise and how we interact with each other. He says, don't throw your pearls to the pigs. We read it so seriously, but it's actually, it's funny. It's wisdom wrapped up in a joke. This hilarious picture of a crazy person throwing their pearls to pigs. Who would do that? He's saying, "Don't be crazy and foolish, like a crazy, foolish person who would throw pearls to pigs." They would have all laughed. Jesus, that's true. What about when Jesus told us to don't judge others? You know, judge yourself and deal with your own issues before you start poking around in other people's issues. He said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye when there's a plank in your own eye? The picture of that is really genuinely funny. A plank in your eye. A dude's walking around with a plank in his eyes going, oh, sir, I think there's a speck of sawdust in your eye. Everybody would have laughed. Jesus is on a roll. He's telling all these things. Everybody would have Laughing and laughing. And at the same time going, that is so true. I probably don't need to carry on to my spouse or my child anymore about that thing until I deal with my thing first. How easy is it when, when there's humor involved to take true things on board? The kingdom of heaven's is like a mustard seed, Jesus. He talks about Peter and he goes, on this rock, I'll be my church. That's hilarious. James and John are there and they, they're like, they know Jesus is God and they find some people who annoy them and they go, smite them, Jesus. Get them with lightning, get them with lightning. Smite them, Jesus, like guys. I got this, Sons of Thunder, settle down. And they're known from that point on, this nickname, Sons of Thunder. It's just a play on what they said. Jesus is saying, don't take yourselves too seriously, guys. God's got this. We're not smiting anyone. Most of the things I think in the the Gospels, I think you can read as though Jesus has a twinkle in his eye. And some of them are outright jokes. Some of them are humour, wisdom and truth wrapped up in something so that we can easily and palatably take it on board and this week I want to encourage you to read through the gospels maybe like the gospel of Matthew and as Jesus is saying the parables and he's saying things and he's making those metaphors and those puns try and build up the picture and try and read it Jesus reading it with a twinkle in his eye and find the humor in it you know, they, uh, they knew that about Jesus. They asked him, why are you feasting? Why are you and your crew like having a good time all the time? They said, John, they thought John the prophet and his disciples, you know, they fast and pray and they're out in the desert and they're not got any good times going. there, eating locusts and, and they're preaching and they're telling everyone off. But Jesus, you and your lot are at everyone's house every night for dinner and you're feasting. Why aren't you fasting and why aren't you being serious? They knew that about Jesus. He he was the fun one. And he gives in Mark chapter two, he, he gives an answer about a wedding feast. And he describes what the kingdom of God is like. And he's like, We're feasting because I'm like the bridegroom. And it's not time to, to be mournful. I'm here. And that's what he says to us as well. This beautiful picture. So many times throughout the Gospels that Jesus talks about this picture of what the kingdom of God is like, and he says it's like a party, and you are the guest of honor, and everything's done in your honor, and and the, and the the prize lamb is is killed, and the fatted lamb is ready for you, and everyone's here for you, and you're welcomed in this party in your honor. It's like a it's like a bridal. Uh, what's that called, it's like a wedding he says, like a wedding a wedding from the king the king's wedding, a royal wedding where everyone even like the, the homeless people are invited, everyone's invited everyone's equal at it and even if you don't have the clothes to wear you're not good enough or something, God will provide them for you, the wedding clothes and maybe, maybe you haven't been to a really fun wedding yet but Jesus was talking about a Jewish wedding right, what is really fun Maybe you've only been to boring weddings. I've got some pictures of Jewish weddings. Jewish weddings are fun. They've got lots of wine and music and dancing and everybody's dancing all together. Everyone knows the steps. You just kind of fling your legs around and hold arms and spin around in a circle. And Nobody's too old. Nobody's too young. This is the picture that Jesus paints of his kingdom. So don't listen to what the world would try and tell you about Jesus. Read the Bible for yourself. Read the Gospels and meet Jesus there. Jesus is the one broken and grieving and sick people would clam around Jesus and he'd heal them and they would go away leaping and dancing and laughing and singing for joy and singing his praises. Jesus is not like... This one who comes to condemn us. Jesus is the one who, like, brings dead children back to life and gives them back to to their parents. He's the one who takes our grief and he replaces it with joy. That's who Jesus is. Don't listen to what the world tries to tell you. That's a true picture of Jesus. And the life that he offers is one of glorious, inexpressible joy. Some translations say un. Utterable, like it's this kind of joy that you can't even explain it's more than words can put into can put into words (laughs) so relationships pastor Rob's been talking the last uh, this morning and last week about um friendships and um you know relationships are really what all we've got going on in our lives it's really the most important part of our lives and we just burden our relationships too often with so much angst and work and Um, worries and busyness, and that's just not the glorious, inexpressible, joy-filled life that God wants. So this week, I want you to do something fun, not just for yourself, but with others. Do something fun with each other. Um, It might be just a fun activity or a funny story I've been trying the last few weeks as I've told the people at growth track to look up uh, funny puns and jokes and things like that just quick ones that I can remember just kind of have them in the back of my mind and then I just drop them at an opportune time for my husband just to make him laugh because I'm not funny naturally I have to look up the puns and then I go drop one and he's like oh that's really funny or he groans but we have a bit of a laugh about it and, uh, and sometimes he will just, you know, make me sit down and watch a YouTube video about cats being weird. And every time I laugh, I would never look up one of those myself. I don't know why. I just think I'm too cool. But, but he shows them to me and we laugh and laugh together. We watch a comedian. We just like to laugh together. You know, um, children laugh, preschool children laugh over 300 times a day. So if you're married... Is it really too much to ask that you have a bit of fun like once a week? Or maybe that you would like laugh together like once a day? Kids are laughing 300 times a day. Can you and your spouse laugh once a day? There's a lot of nattering going on here. See, I told you, this is where the line in the sand gets drawn. (laughs) I can't laugh with my husband. He's not funny. (laughs) I tell you, my husband's idea of funny... just one example don't tell dad (laughs) I have in my bedroom uh, we had a blue blanket I've told you this one and it had like a uh, this blanket is blue on one side and it's green on the other this terrible lime green that I don't like so, there's blue things in my bedroom and a picture with blue in it. There's nothing remotely lime green. So, every day for several years, I put the blanket at the end of the bed, the blue side up, right, obviously. I'm not letting any of the green show. And then one, every time, my husband kept putting it so that both the blue and the green would show. And one morning, I said, dude, just put it so that only the blue shows. I pointed around and said, there's nothing lime green in the room. Just put the blue side up. He's like, okay, dear. And he, which he always says, and then he puts it on, and then he went to work. And I went to work. And then I came home that night before he'd come home. And I found the green side up, totally green, no blue even on. And I was like, who's come into my room and put this on? Like, have my kids come into my room and put this? He'd gone to work, right? And during his half an hour lunch break, he'd spend that whole half an hour hooning to the other side of town just to flip the blanket and then gone back to work. So, that's what I'm dealing with. He's cheeky. But look at all the laughter we got out of that. So, I want to encourage you, if you're married, to laugh. Like, crikey, once a day is not really that much in a day. Just... You know, have like, I don't know, some funny story up your arm or, um, or bring up some funny thing of when you first got married and you burnt all those things or you're learning to cook or whatever it is or funny things your kids have done or um, all the other funny stuff you have to learn when you get married and you're like, oh, that was a disaster that day, wasn't it? Just bring those things up. If you've got kids, uh, you know, and you're making school lunches, put a little joke in their lunchbox so they get it at lunchtime and they go, oh, what a funny mum and dad I have or whatever it is. And they have a little laugh and they share it with their friends. And the laughter goes on and on. If you've got tiny little kids and they're making you read that book over and over, just do the funny voices and make them laugh. And, and, and uh, all those exotic things that they want you to do over and over, just do them over and over. If you, if you, if you just kind of uh, have teenagers, you know, I don't know how to make teenagers laugh, but maybe sit. <laughs> sit with them and watch the cat videos together, watch their memes, or vines, or whatever they do nowadays, just sit with them, if they're laughing, go, what are you laughing at, and let me look at it as well, we're take them out for a hot chocolate, and, um, and just try and make a plan, and be strategic, like, have we done something fun with our kids this week, have we done something fun with our spouses this week, or if you're a single person, like, at your workplaces, just for Learn some jokes and get some puns going and crack a joke or at the shops or with your neighbours. Just make a funny joke and share a bit of joy because we need to be light-hearted people. We're light-hearted people because we don't have to carry the world on our shoulders. We don't have to carry every burden. Jesus carries our burdens for us. He said, cast all your cares on me because I love you. So we don't have to be people who walk around the world with the world on our shoulder. We can be light-hearted and have a bit of humour at ourselves as well. Like isn't our world so offended now, our culture's really like offended easily and sometimes I get offended at stuff too, particularly stuff that Mike does or says, my husband. But I just, you know, we just got to be light-hearted and it's okay to have a little chuckle and let things slide and chuckle at ourselves as well. So the other day I was, we dropped Nikita at McDonald's, she works there now. You can all wave if you go in for a cheeseburger. And and so I dropped her at work and then Mike and I were like, oh, let's get a coffee and we'll go, whatever, go for a drive or something. And so she had already sort of started working and we got a coffee and and then it had been a few minutes, see, so she's behind the counter already working and, and then me and Mike are walking out. So I get to that sort of the far side of the place, the door, and I look back and then I saw Nikita, my sweet darling daughter, and I'm like, oh, see you Nikita, have a good shift, I love you. And then we walked out because that's just what I naturally do. I'm like, oh, there's my kid. I love you. Have a good chef. Bye. And as we walk out, Mike's like, oh, my gosh, you are one of those embarrassing mums. I was like, no, I am not. She would not be embarrassed by me saying I love her. He goes, let me rephrase. Oh, my gosh, you are one of them embarrassing wives. I said, yes, I probably am one of those. <laughs> I, can, I can let that one go. That one's probably true. Let's just have a bit of lightheartedness about ourselves as well. Jesus can carry the weight of the world. We don't need to. And we're not perfect. We don't need to be. Let's just have a bit of joy in our lives and, and, uh, and start to get closer and closer to knowing the glorious and expressible joy that Jesus wants us to live in. So let's just close uh, in prayer right now. I'll ask the music team to come back and, um, and let's just pray, Let, just close your eyes and pray if you, if you will. So if you don't call yourself a Christian yet, if you've maybe never thought about Jesus or thought about Jesus in this light, that he's the one who brings joy, then um, you know, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to pray now uh, and you can ask him to meet with you and to be in your life. And if you are a follower of Jesus and you've listened to that and you thought glorious and expressible joy, that's not really what my life looks like right now or I've done, I've forgotten, I haven't had When was the last time I had fun? I can't even remember the last time I laughed. I never have fun with my kids. I never have fun anymore. And we're going to just pray about that as well. So let's just speak to Jesus. He said he's, he's closer than a friend. If you want Jesus for the first time to meet with you, um, you can just pray to him now in your own heart and say, you know, Jesus, I want to meet you. I want to know that you're real for myself. I want to believe in you. I want your forgiveness. I want this heaviness, this guilt, this sin to be gone and be replaced by your joy. I want that in my life, Jesus. Meet with me. Be in my life. Those who are Christians, let's just ask the Holy Spirit to show us His joy again. Fill our hearts up with your joy, Holy Spirit, and show us the opportunities in our own workplaces and families and friends where we can be the ones who bring joy. So Lord Jesus, you set before us this incredible path. For some of us, it seems like an impossible path to live a life of glorious, inexpressible joy. We want it, Jesus. We ask that you'd fill us with your spirit. Give us lives we can live born along by courage and joy that we're the ones bringing your joy and your laughter to all around us this week I pray as we read your Bible that we would have open eyes to see when you were speaking with a twinkle in your eyes that we would see you as the man of joy and Holy Spirit I ask you to inspire us and help us as we plan we plan to bring joy into our families' lives we plan to bring laughter and joy to our spouses and to our children and to the people in the shop and the people at our school and our workplaces. We just believe that. Promise your scripture says that we can be truly glad and have wonderful joy ahead even as we endure many trials for this little while. We thank you that you're the God of joy. Amen. Thank you so much. I pray you have a joy-filled week and that you, as you read the scriptures this week, that you look for those funny bits when Jesus was meaning it in a funny way. Amen.